I'd like to welcome everybody to Check Your Shelf. This is season two. We're reading Catcher in the Rye. My name's Aaron. Some of y'all might know me by gimme, but some of y'all might not know me at all. But I think it's really important that we know these books really intimately. So I'm going to have to ask you to go check your shelf. Haha, <laughs> man. What an exciting episode we in for today. Because every day is an exciting experience when you get to hang out with your boy. It's me. It's Gimme. And you already know what the business is on Check Your Shelf. We reading Catcher in the Rye. And this episode three, we already on chapter eight, man. This book is zooming by. So I want to start at the top of the episode by recommending y'all go into the Facebook group or the Discord and you can recommend books that you want to replace Catcher in the Rye on the voting section. So we have five books that we vote for at the beginning of every season. So if you want to see something read, go ahead and make your voice heard. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Shout out to the new listeners. Shout out to the people coming back. I really appreciate everybody who even just lends an ear for 30 seconds. It means a lot that you would even bother to click through, let alone listen for 30 extra seconds. I appreciate that. So, last episode, we got to experience a couple things. We got to experience a little bromance with uh, Stradlater and Holden uh, in the bathroom while Stradlater was getting ready for his date. And we eventually found out the identity of Stradlater's date, uh, and he was an old flame of Holden's back from his childhood. Oh, excuse me. And it kind of throws him into this, like, uh, like a neurotic spiral in a way, right? Starts obsessing about this girl and asks asks Stradlater to cross a couple boundaries that you might not do on a first date. Um, We also experienced... um, uh, I think it was an essay but a paper that Holden was obligated to write for Stradlater um, he, he needed to be descriptive preferably about a room or a house and Holden decided to write it about his brother's baseball glove um, and then we effectively learned a couple things about Holden's brother and his untimely passing to uh, leukemia I believe oh spoiler alert Oh, if you're in episode 3 and you didn't listen to episode 1 or 2 get out of my face dude come on um, we learned about the after effects of Stradlater's date and, um, and kind of uh, the detrimental effects of what Holden's obsession becomes, right? We learned a little, we experienced a little Ackley and Holden slumber party because uh, Holden didn't really want to associate with Stradlater any longer and he was going to try to escape from Pensy a few days early. So, very action packed episode. A lot of a uh, lot of emotions and other things that run high, but what do you expect from Mr. Caulfield himself? If we can even call him a Mister, he's still just a young boy. If we can, if we can excuse young Caulfield for just a second, you know, maybe we can find some redeeming qualities in him as the book continues. But that's all I got to say for the introduction, man. I'm glad you're back. Looking forward to seeing you again. You know. I'm having a hard time remembering why I, ident- why I identified with Holden so much when I was reading this book in 8th grade, ninth grade, whatever it was. I'm having a hard time remembering, but we're just getting into the meat of the book, so maybe it'll present itself. I'm not sure. Let's see. Chapter 8. 
It was too late to call up for a cab or anything, so I walked the whole way to the station. It wasn't too far, but it was cold as hell and the snow made it hard for walking and my gladstones kept banging the hell out of my legs. I sort of enjoyed the air and all, though. The only trouble was the cold made my nose hurt and right under my upper lip, where old Stridelator laid one on me, it smacked my lip right on my teeth and it was pretty sore. My ears were nice and warm, though. That hat I bought had ear laps in it, and I put them on. I didn't give a damn how I looked. Nobody was around anyway. Everybody was in the sack. I was quite lucky when I got to the station because I only had to wait about 10 minutes for a train. And while I waited, I got some snow in my hand and washed my face with it. Still had quite a bit of blood on. Usually I like riding on trains, especially at night with the, with the lights on and the windows so black. And one of those guys coming up the aisle selling coffee and sandwiches and magazines. I usually buy a ham sandwich and about four magazines. If I want to train at night, I can usually even read one of those dumb stories in a magazine without puking. You know, one of those stories with a lot of phony, lean-jawed guys named David in it, and a lot of phony girls named Linda or Marsha. Oh my god, did we just get back-to-back phonies? Bring up that fucking phony meter. Kind of feeling like a phony right now. Whoa. Why did I bring up my Pokemon stuff? That was weird. Just ignore that. That didn't... You didn't see that. Phony counters at 8. Gotta bump that bad boy up to 10. My God, these phonies. Out of control. In the 50s, man, you know? You can't trust them as far as you can throw them. Now I got a stupid double-digit numbers affecting my phony counter. Anyways... Back to these fucking phonies. If I'm on a train at night, I can usually even read one of those dumb stories in a magazine without puking. You know, one of those stories with a lot of phony, lean-jawed guys named David in it, and a lot of phony girls named Linda or Marsha that are always lighting. That are always lighting. Oh, lighting all the. Okay, they're always lighting all the goddamn David's pipes for them. God, imagine that. Just the amount of pimpery. Can you imagine, though? Can you imagine, like, what's up, Marsha? Come over here and light my pipe for me. You know, you just lean over. Fire. That's some James Bond shit right there. That's what a, that's what a young boy in the 50s thinks a man is. <clears throat> I can even read one of those lousy stories on a train at night usually, but this time, it was different. I just didn't feel like it. I just sort of sat and not did anything. All I did was take off my hunting hat and put it in my jacket. In my pocket. Why did I that's I thought that said jacket. Come on, brain, get it together. All of a sudden, this lady gone on it got on at Trenton and sat down next to me. Practically the whole car was empty because it was pretty late and all, but she sat down next to me. Instead of an empty seat because she had this big bag with her and I was sitting in the front seat. She stuck the bag right out in the middle of the aisle where the conductor and everybody could trip over it. And she had these orchids on. I guess she'd just been to a big party or something. She was around 40 or 45, I guess. She was very good looking. Women kill me. They really do. I don't mean I'm oversexed or anything like that. Although I am quite sexy. I just like them, I mean. They're always leaving their goddamn bags in the middle of the aisle. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, man. This kid's strange. 
I just like them. I mean, they're always leaving their goddamn bags out in the middle of the aisle. I mean, come on. They're so. Can you, how can you not like such? That's such endearing behavior. Come on. How do you not love that? This guy's a racket. Anyway, we were sitting there, and all of a sudden she said to me, Excuse me, but isn't that a Pensy Prep sticker? She was looking up at my suitcases up on the rack. Yes, it is, I said. She was right. I did have a goddamn Pensy sticker on one of my Gladstones. Very corny, I'll admit. See, this is, again, another fun instance of him feeling guilty or caught. Caught. He's himself is now being caught in the phony, something that he holds... Like, it's one of his character traits. He hates the phonies, and every time he gets called, a, this is a phony thing that he's being called out for, so he's feeling that guilt again. So now that he's feeling guilty and he's caught about it, he's using that, I'll admit. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Oh, do you go to Pensy? She said. She had a nice voice. A nice telephone voice, mostly. She could have carried a goddamn telephone around with her. Yes, I do, I said. Oh, how lovely. Perhaps you know my son, then, Ernest Morrow? He goes to Pensy. Yes, I do. He's in my class. Her son was doubtless the biggest bastard that ever went to Pensy in the whole crummy history of the school. He was always going down the corridor after he had a shower, snapping his soggy old wet towel at people's asses. That's exactly the kind of guy he was. Oh, how nice, the lady said. But not corny, she was just she was just nice and all. I must tell Ernest we met. May I ask your name, dear? Uh, Rudolph Schmidt, I told her. I didn't feel like giving her my whole life story. Rudolph Schmidt was the name of the janitor in our dorm. Do you like Pensy? She asked me. <clears throat> Pensy? It's not too bad. It's not paradise or anything, but it's as good as most schools. Some of the some of the faculty are pretty conscientious. Ernest just adores it. I know he does, I said. Then I started shooting the old crap around a little bit. He adapts himself very well to things. He really does. I mean, he really knows how to adapt himself. God, why the fuck? That's how you decide to start shooting the old crap, Holden? Like, is that that's your idea of, like... I hate this kid sometimes, man. Anyway. Do you think so? She asked me. She sounded interested as hell. Ernest? Sure, I said. Then I watched her take off her gloves. Boy, she was lousy with rocks. I just broke a nail getting out of a cab, she said. She looked up at me and sort of smiled. She had a terrifically nice smile. She really did. Most people have hardly any smile at all, or a lousy one. Ernest's father and, Ernest's father and I sometimes worry about him. We sometimes feel he's not a terribly good mixer. Oh, well, how do you mean? Well, he's a very sensitive boy. He's never been a terribly good mixer with other boys, and perhaps he takes things a little more seriously than he should at his age. Sensitive. That killed me. That guy Moro was about as sensitive as a goddamn toilet seat. I gave her a good look. She didn't look like any old dope to me. She looked like she might have had a pretty damn good idea what a bastard she was the mother of. Oh, what a bastard she was the mother of. Dude, I thought Holden was about to go in on this old lady. Like, he seemed to have some real choice words about her real quick, huh? Um, I gave her a good look. She didn't seem like any old dope to me. She looked like she might have a pretty damn good idea what a bastard she was the mother of. But you can't always tell with somebody's mother. I mean, 
The mothers are all slightly insane. The thing is, though, I liked old Moro's mother. She was alright. Would you care for a cigarette? I asked her. Yo. Yo. Y'all thinking what I'm thinking. Y'all thinking what I'm thinking, man. I think Holden's about to try to fuck. Aha. And what's this little kid in high school, in a private school, talking about, hey, here's a cigarette. She looked all around. I don't believe this is a smoker, Rudolph. She said, Rudolph. That killed me. That's all. Uh, uh, I about did the girl's voice again. That's all right. We can smoke till they start screaming at us, I said. She took a cigarette off of me and I gave her a light. She looked nice smoking. She inhaled and all, but she didn't quite wolf the smoke down the way most women around her age do. She had a lot of charm. She had quite a lot of sex appeal, too, if you really want to know. She was looking at me sort of funny. I may be wrong, but I believe your nose is bleeding, dear, she said all of a sudden. That was not in quotes, so I'm not doing the voice. I have I have respect for myself as a voiceover artist, okay? I nodded and took out my handkerchief. Now I got hit with a snowball, I said. One of those very icy ones. I probably would have told her what really happened, but it would have taken too long. I liked her, though. I was beginning to feel sort of sorry I told her my name was Rudolf Schmidt. Ole Ernie, I said. He's, po- he's one of the most popular boys at Pensy. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I nodded. It really took everybody quite a long time to get to know him. He's a funny guy. A strange guy in lots of ways, you know what I mean? Like, when I first met him. When I first met him, I thought he was kind of a snobbish person. That's what I thought. But he isn't. He's just got this very original personality that takes you a little while to get to know him. Old Mrs. Morrow didn't say anything, but boy, you should have seen her. I had her glued to her seat. You take somebody's mother, you take somebody's mother, all they want to hear is about what a hot shot their son is. Then I really started chucking the old crap around. Did he tell you about the elections? I asked her. The class elections? She shook her head. I had her in a trance. Like, I really did. Well, a bunch of us wanted old Ernie to be president of the class. I mean... He was the unanimous choice. I mean, he was the only boy that could really handle the job. I said, boy, was I chuckling at this, but but this other boy, Harry Fencer, was elected. And the reason he was elected, the simple and obvious reason, was because Ernie wouldn't let us nominate him because he's so darn shy and modest and all. He refused. Boy, he's really shy. You ought to make him try to get over that. I looked at her. Didn't he tell you about it? No, he didn't. I nodded. That's Ernie. He wouldn't. That's the one fault with him. He's too shy and modest. You really ought to get him to try to relax occasionally. And right that minute, the conductor came around for old Miss Morrow's ticket, and it gave me a chance to quit shooting it. I'm glad I shot it for a while, though. You take a guy like Morrow that's always snapping their towel at people's asses, really trying to hurt somebody with it. I don't just stay a rat. Wait, they don't just stay a rat. <clears throat> they don't just stay a rat while they're a kid. They stay a rat their whole life. But I'll bet after all the crap I shot, Mrs. Morrill will keep thinking of him as this very shy, modest guy that wouldn't let us nominate him for president. She might. You can't tell. Mothers aren't too sharp about that stuff. Would you care for a cocktail? I asked her. 
I was feeling in the mood for one myself. We can go in the club car, all right? Dude, Holden is kind of a pimp. Like, he's kind of working this lady exactly how he needs to. I don't remember this book at all. But if he fucks this chick, I'm going to be so happy. <laughs> Holden needs to get him some needs to get him some strange real quick. Dear, are you allowed to order drinks? She asked me. Not snotty, though. She was too charming and all to be snotty. Well, no, not exactly, but I can usually get them on account of my height. I hate that fucking extra H they put in that word. It's so gross. And I have quite a bit of gray hair. I turned sideways and showed her my gray hair. It fascinated the hell out of her. Come on, join me, why don't you? I said. I'd have enjoyed having her. Another double contraction. I'm so, that's so, I love it. I'd have, I'd have enjoyed having her. I'd have enjoyed having her. It's so crazy. So it's like the double contraction, just to say it in the past tense, it's like such a complex writing choice. And it's so, it just goes wildly unnoticed. Just think it's a fun, just think it's a fun choice. I, I really don't think I'd better. Thank you so much though, dear, he said. Anyway, the club car is most likely closed. It's quite late, you know. Oh, she was right. I'd forgotten all about what time it was. Then she looked at me and asked me what I was afraid she was going to ask me. Ernest wrote that he'd be coming home on Wednesday, that Christmas vacation would start on Wednesday, she said. I hope you weren't called home suddenly because of illness in your family. She looked really worried about it. She wasn't just being nosy, you could tell. No, everybody's fine at home. It's me, I, I have to have this operation. Oh, I'm so sorry, she said. She really was, too. I was right away sorry I'd said it, but it was too late. It, it isn't very serious. I have this tiny little tumor on the brain. Oh, no. She put her hand up to her mouth and all. Oh, I'll be all right and everything. It's right near the outside, and it's a very tiny one. They can take it out in about two minutes. See, and that was on the same paragraph as the, as the woman speaking, so I thought it was still her talking. It's fucked up. Y'all got me out here embarrassing myself in front of my friends. Then I started reading this timetable I had in my pocket just to stop lying. Once I get started, I can go on for hours if I feel like it. No kidding. Hours. We didn't talk too much after that. She started reading this Vogue she had with her. And I looked out the window for a while. She got off at the Newark, wished me a lot of luck with the operation and all. She kept calling me Rudolph. And then she invited me to visit Ernie during the summer at Gloucester, Massachusetts. She said their house was right on the beach. They had a tennis court and all, but I just thanked her and told her I was going to South America with my grandmother, which was a really hot one because my grandmother hardly ever even goes out of the house, except maybe to go to a goddamn matinee or something, but I wouldn't visit, I wouldn't visit that son of a bitch Morrow for all the dough in the world, even if I was desperate. So far, one of my favorite things about this fucking book has been the way this dude ends ends his chapters. They all they all blend this really cool. Um, there's this neat balance between subtlety 
and like a super mega cliffhanger like it's so smooth the way he ends that shit but it's also so just like such an abrupt look into who Holden is type shit like I wouldn't visit that son of a bitch moral for all the dough in the world even if I was desperate like it's just so strange that those are the two like extremes that his brain goes to is like you could pay me all the money in the world or I could be desperate what a weird kid weird kid in a weird time nice that fucking green screen boy oh I bet my shirt I bet my shirt's doing some cool stuff Fuck. hey hey that's a good time as any if you don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing because you're listening to the audio version on Spotify or wherever Apple whatever they're on everything it's on everything you can find it everywhere but I just made a visual joke you should check me out on YouTube you can find me I said create name it a channel check your shelf name it a pod no big deal chapter 9 the first thing I did when I got off at Penn Station, I went into this phone booth. I felt like giving somebody a buzz. I left my bags right outside the booth so that I could watch them. But as soon as I was inside, I couldn't think of anybody to call up. Damn, that's relatable. Excuse me. My brother DB was in Hollywood. My kid sister Phoebe goes to bed around 9 o'clock so I couldn't call her up. She wouldn't have cared if I woke her up, but... The trouble was, she wouldn't have been the one that answered the phone. My parents would be the ones, so that was out. Then I thought of giving Jane Gallagher's mother a buzz. I have a burp that's stuck in my chest, and every time I start reading, it wants to come out. Just either come out or stop. Dude, make a choice, yeah, gas. Then I thought of giving Jane Gallagher's mother a buzz and find out when Jane's vacation started, but... I didn't feel like it. Besides, it was it was pretty late to call up. And then I thought of calling this girl I used to go around with quite frequently, Sally Hayes, because I I knew her Christmas vacation had started already. She'd written me this long, phony letter inviting me over to help her trim the Christmas tree, Christmas Eve and all. Gotta change the phony counter. Big Leb, got a big Leb up there. She'd written me this long, phony letter inviting me over to help her trim the Christmas tree. Christmas Eve and all. But I was afraid her mother would answer the phone. Her mother knew my mother, and I could picture her breaking a goddamn leg to get to the phone and tell my mother I was in New York. Besides, I wasn't crazy about talking to old Mrs. Hayes on the phone. She once told Sally I was wild. She said I was wild and that I had no direction in life. Then I thought of calling up this guy that went to the Wooten School when I was there, Carl Luch. Lucha. Luki. Luche. Luche. Carl Luche. But I didn't like him much, so I ended up not calling anybody. I came out of the booth after about 20 minutes or so, got my bags, and walked over to that tunnel where the cabs are and got a cab. I'm so damn absent-minded, I gave the driver my regular address just out of habit and all. 
I mean, I completely forgot I was going to go shack up in a hotel for a couple of days and not go home until vacation started. I didn't think about it till we were halfway through the park. Then I said, hey, do you mind turning around when you get a chance? I gave you the wrong address. I want to go back downtown. Now the driver was sort of a wise guy. Yeah, I can't turn around here, Mac. This here is a one-way. I'll have to go all the way down to 90th Street now. I didn't want to start an argument. Okay, I said. Then I, saw, then I thought of something all of a sudden. Hey, listen. You know those ducks in the lagoon right near Central Park South? That little lake? By any chance, do you happen to know where they go? The ducks. When it gets all frozen over. Do you happen to know by any chance? I realized there was only a one chance in a million. He turned around and looked at me like I was a madman. What are you trying to do, bud? Kid me? No, I was just interested, that's all. He didn't say anything more, so I didn't either. And so we came out of the park at 90th Street. Then he said, All right, buddy, where to? Well, the thing is, I don't want to stay in any hotels on the east side, where I might run into some acquaintances of mine. I'm traveling incognito. I hate saying corny things like traveling incognito. But when I'm traveling with somebody that's corny, I always act corny too. Who's he traveling with? <clears throat> but when I'm with somebody that's corny, I always act corny too. I guess he thinks the cab driver's corny somehow because he's being taken advantage of by him. I don't know. Um, do you happen to know whose band is at the Taft or the New Yorker by any chance? No idea, Mac. Well, take me to the Edmont then. Would you care to stop on the way and join me for a cocktail? On me. I'm loaded. Can't do it, Mac. Sorry. He certainly was good company. Terrific personality. We got to the Edmont Hotel and I checked in. I'd put on my red hunting cap when I was in the cab just for the hell of it. But I took it off before I checked in. I didn't want to look like a screwball or something. Which is really ironic. I didn't know that the goddamn hotel was full of perverts and morons. Screwballs all over the place. Is, am I supposed to know? I hope he gets to that later. Am I supposed to know what the fuck that's supposed to mean? I guess, I guess there's just a lot of perverts here. <laughs> they gave me this very crummy room with nothing to look out of, with nothing to look out of the window at. See, that's why. There's a, there's a rule that this writer just broke because it's like a prepositional phrase or some shit. I don't fucking know, but they gave me this very crummy room with nothing to look out of the window at except the other side of the hotel. Man, they gave me nothing to look out of the window at. Such a weird way to phrase that, right? But I, now, I'm, now I'm trying to think how... I mean, there's obviously much more long-winded ways to say it, but... I guess that's how, that's how Holden would say it. I don't know. That's weird. But I didn't care much. I was too depressed to care whether I had a good view or not. The bellboy that showed me to his room to the room was this very old guy, around 65. He was even more depressing than the room was. He was one of those bald guys that comb all their hair over from the side to cover up the baldness. I'd rather be bald than do that. Anyway... What a gorgeous job for a guy around 65 years old, carrying people's suitcases and waiting around for a tip. I suppose he wasn't too intelligent or anything, but it was terrible anyway. 
God, this guy's such a cocksucker, man. What a, just a horrible dude. God, I can't stand this kid. Holden, you're making me want to drink, son. Why do you do this to me? I give out. After he left, I looked out the window for a while with my coat on and all. I didn't have anything else to do. You'd be surprised what was going on on the other side of the hotel. They didn't even bother to pull their shades down. I saw one guy, a gray-haired, very distinguished-looking guy with only his shorts on, do something you wouldn't believe me if I told you. First, he put his suitcase on the bed. Then, he took out all these women's clothes and put them on. Real women's clothes. Silk stockings, high-heeled shoes, brassiere, and one of those corsets with the straps hanging down and all. Then he put on this very tight black evening dress, I swear to God. Then he started walking up and down the room, taking these very small steps the way a woman does, and smoking a cigarette and looking at himself in the mirror. He was all alone too, unless somebody was in the bathroom, I couldn't see that much, but... And then in the window, almost right over to his, I saw a man and a woman squirting water out of their mouths at each other. It was probably highballs, not water, but I couldn't see what they had in their glasses. Highballs, that's gotta be a cocktail, right? Time for a quick goog. Hey, baby, baby, gotta give a goog. Highball, highball drink, highball glass, highball cocktail. Whiskey highball, classic whiskey highball. Is this even coming up on the right window? Yes, it is, I'm a genius. Whiskey Highball is a very simple and classic popular way to enjoy your favorite whiskey. It's quite simply whiskey and ginger ale. That makes it very easy to memorize. Hey, you know what makes it a little easier to memorize? Calling it a fucking whiskey ginger ale or a whiskey ginger. Like, get out of my face with all this highball stuff. You guys in the 50s, you don't know anything. Uh, It was probably highballs, not water. But I couldn't see what they had in their glasses. Anyway... First, he'd take a swallow and then squirt it all over her, and then she did it to him. They took turns, for God's sakes. You should have seen him. They were in hysterics the whole time, like it was the funniest thing that ever happened. I'm not kidding. The whole hotel was the whole hotel was lousy with perverts. I'm probably the only normal bastard in the whole place, and that isn't saying much. I damn near sent a telegram to old Stradlater, telling him to take the first train to New York. He'd have been the king of the hotel. The trouble was, that kind of junk is sort of fascinating to watch, even if you don't want it to be. For instance, that girl that was getting water squirted all over her face, she was pretty good looking. I mean, that's my big trouble. In my mind, I'm probably the biggest sex maniac you ever saw. Sometimes, I can think of very crummy stuff I wouldn't mind doing if the opportunity came up. I can even see how it might be quite a lot of fun in a crummy way. And if you were both sort of drunk and all to get a girl and squirt water or something all over each other's face. The thing is though, I don't like the idea. It stinks if you analyze it. I think if you don't really like a girl, you shouldn't... I think if you don't really like a girl, you shouldn't horse around with her at all. Okay. So he's saying... So he's saying like he he does really seem to value the... The goofiness and the silliness and the camaraderie of a relationship. So he's saying, you ain't supposed to fake that sort of thing, bro. Don't do that. 
I think if you don't really like a girl, you shouldn't horse around with her at all. And if you do like her, then you're supposed to like her face. And if you like her face, you ought to be careful about doing crummy stuff to it, like squirting water all over it. Boy, I don't think Holden would survive these days, man. You you out there in private school, you ain't got no fucking real, no, no real supervision, and you out here scared of a little water, bruh. The 50s different. The 50s different. It really is too bad that so much crummy stuff is a lot of fun sometimes. And girls aren't too much help either. When you start trying not to get too crummy, when you start trying not to spoil anything really good. I knew this one girl a couple years ago that was even crummier than I was. Boy, was she crummy. We had a lot of fun though, for a while, in a crummy way. Sex is something I really don't understand too hot. You never know where the hell you are. I keep making up these sex rules for myself and then I break them right away. Last year I made a rule that I was gonna quit horsing around with girls that deep down gave me a pain in the ass. I broke it though the same week I made it, the same night as a matter of fact. I spent the whole night necking, necking, just necking her up. I spent the whole night necking with a terrible phony named Anne Louise Sherman. Sex is something I just don't understand. I swear to God, I don't. But see, now, this is the, these are the types of things... Sorry, I forgot to move the mic closer to my... So now I'm probably yelling, all my levels are fucked up. Anyway, so this is a, something I just don't understand about J.D. Salinger, the writer of the book. Not Holden, the storyteller. <clears throat> We've just went through a couple paragraphs of... What in the 50s would be very risque stuff. So we got like a cross-dresser. And some, uh, some degradation play. So spitting and spitting all over each other or whatever, right? So, J.D. Salinger is a little bit of a freak. In my brain, right? So... What am I trying to say here? Did I lose my point just now? When I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm like reading as I'm talking and now I'm trying to remember what my point was. Oh, okay. So yeah. All right. So I'm thinking JD Salinger is a freak and he's having a really hard time writing from like the point of view of a virgin. And it's just, I, I am starting to think he's not a greater writer as we all think he is, right? Like all the stuff that I've been kind of attributing to him being a good writer, I might be wrong because, I mean, I broke it the same week I made it, the same night as a matter of fact. That could be, I could see that being a, a literary choice. That's how Holden would have said it because he's trying to embellish the story, right? Like, he, that probably did not happen the same night. Holden is probably lying, right? So I get that he can, I can give that a little bit. But then, this description is just so, God, I don't know what he's trying to do. Is he trying to make Holden appear as a liar? Because it's so, just a, just a couple paragraphs ago, he was talking about, you know, he's sex crazed and he's very sexy and whatever. And all the girls, not all the girls, but he had mentioned multiple girls that he had messed around with. 
but then we decided to end the the whole collection of sexy paragraphs with I spent the whole night necking with a terrible phony named Anne Louise Sherman. Sex is something I just don't understand. I swear to God, I don't. But we never, Holden has never mentioned sex at any point. So it's like, we've never seen him in a sexual scenario, yet he talks about how sexy he is and he's a sex maniac and he's sex crazed. I'm starting to think Holden is an incel, bro. Well, yeah, incel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a vol cell, an incel. Phony counter. Phony counter's up to 12, y'all. We got a dozen phonies in this bitch. Make a phony omelet. I started toying with the idea, while I kept standing there, of giving old Jane a buzz. I mean, calling her long distance at BM where she went, instead of calling up her mother to find out when she was coming home. You weren't supposed to call students up late at night, but I had it all figured out. I was going to tell whoever answered the phone that I was her uncle. I was going to say her aunt had just got killed in a car accident and I needed to speak to her immediately. It would have worked too. The only reason I didn't do it because I wasn't in the mood. If you're not in the mood, you can't do that stuff right. After a while, I sat down in a chair and smoked a couple cigarettes. I was feeling pretty horny. I'll have to admit it. Uh oh. Uh oh. We saw, okay, we saw, we see it again. I was feeling pretty horny, I'll have to admit it. So, again, I was attributing this to him, you know, maybe being a good, a better writer than average, but whenever he decides to write, write down that phrase, I admit it, is because Holden's feeling guilty about something, so. He's feeling guilty about being horny. I wonder, I'm wondering, I'm just, don't listen to me, bro, I'm just reading the book. I got a fucking truly in my hand. You guys acting like I'm a fucking literature teacher. Get out of my face. Get out of my face. I was feeling pretty horny, I have to admit it. Then all of a sudden, I got this idea. I took out my wallet and started looking for this address. A guy I met at a party last summer that went to prison. Princeton gave me. God, what a long-winded way to say that. It's just, ugh. That's not how humans talk. Maybe it wasn't the 50s. I don't understand why the writer would write things like that. Like, I get Holden's telling the story. I get it. So, like, this is him talking, not the writer talking. So, but, like, that's not how humans tell stories. I took out my wallet and started looking for this address, a guy I met at a party last summer that went to Princeton gave me. Maybe it is how Valley people talk, and I'm just not used to it. Fuck. Delete it all. None of that happened. Just kidding. I don't edit shit. All raw, uncensored content here on Check Your Shelf. Finally, I found it. It was all a funny color from my wallet, but you could still read it. It was the address of this girl that wasn't exactly a whore or anything, but that didn't mind doing it once in a while, this guy from Princeton told me. He brought her to a dance at Princeton once, and they nearly kicked him out for bringing her. She used to be a burlesque stripper or something. Anyway, I went over to the phone, gave her a buzz. Her name was Faith Cavendish, and she lived at the Stanford Arms Hotel on 65th and Broadway. A dump, no doubt. For a while, I didn't think she was home or something. Nobody kept answering. Then, finally, somebody picked up the phone. Hello? I said. I made my voice quite deep so that she wouldn't suspect my age or anything. I have a pretty deep voice anyway. Hello? 
This woman's voice said, none too friendly either. Is this Miss Faith Cavendish? Who's this? Who's calling me up at this crazy goddamn hour? That sort of scared me a bit. Well, I know it's quite late, I said in this mature voice and all. I hope you'll forgive me, but I was very anxious to get in touch with you. I said it suave as hell. I really did. Who is this? She said. Well, you don't know me, but I'm a friend of Eddie Birdsell's. He suggested that if I were in town sometime, we ought to get together for a cocktail or two. Who? You're a friend of who? Boy, she was a real tigress over the phone. She was damn near yelling at me. Um, Edmund Birdsell, Eddie Birdsell. I said, I couldn't remember if his name was Edmund or Edward. I only met him once at a goddamn stupid party. I don't know anybody by that name, Jack, and if you think I enjoy being woke up in the middle of Eddie, Eddie Birdsell from Princeton? You could tell she was running the name over in her mind and all. Birdsell, Birdsell from Princeton. Princeton College? That's right. You from Princeton College? Well, approximately. Oh, how is Eddie? This is certainly a peculiar time to call a person up, though. Jesus Christ. He's fine. He has to be remembered to you. Well, thank you. Remember me to him. He's a grand person. What's he doing now? She was getting friendly as hell all of a sudden. Oh, you know, same old stuff. I said, how the hell did I know what he was doing? I hardly knew the guy. I didn't even know if he was still at Princeton. Look, would you be interested in meeting me for a cocktail somewhere? By any chance, do you have any idea what time it is? What's your name, anyhow, may I ask? She was getting an English accent all of a sudden. You, um, you sound a little young, you sound a little on the young side. I laughed. Oh, thank you for the compliment. I said suave as hell. Holden Caulfield's my name. I should have given her a phony name, but I didn't think of it. Well, look, Mr. Caulfield, I'm not in the habit of making engagements in the middle of the night. I'm a working gal. Tomorrow's Sunday, I told her. Well, anyway, I gotta get my beauty sleep. You know how it is. I thought we might have just one cocktail together. It isn't too late. Well, you're very sweet. Where are you calling from? Where you at now, anyways? Me? I'm in a phone booth. Oh. Then there was this very long pause. Well... I'd like awfully to get together with you sometime, Mr. Coffel. You sound very attractive. You sound like a very attractive person, but it is late. I could come up to your place. Well, ordinary, I'd say grand. I mean, I'd love to have you drop up for a cocktail, but my roommate happens to be ill. She's been laying here all night without a wink of sleep. She's just this minute closed her eyes and all, I mean. Oh, that's too bad. Where are you stopping at? Perhaps we could get together for cocktails tomorrow. Ah, uh, I can't make it tomorrow. Tonight's the only time I can make it. What a dope I was. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, well, I'm awfully sorry. I'll say hello to Eddie for you. Will you do that? I hope you enjoy your stay in New York. It's a grand place. Ah, uh, I know it is. Thanks. Good night. And then I hung up. Boy, I really fouled that up should have at least made it for cocktails or something. Interesting, 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 interesting. This, this book makes me...
constantly kind of um, eat my own words too because man for a virgin he sure he had her in his fucking claws didn't have a sense of nervousness on him he handled that pro like a pro but got scared he's probably gonna say oh I didn't even she's probably ugly anyway I didn't even want to talk to her shut up Holden chapter 10 it was still pretty early I'm not sure what time it was but it wasn't too late the one thing I hate to do is go to bed when I'm not even tired so I opened my suitcases took out a clean shirt and then I went into the bathroom and washed and changed my shirt don't really know how I was supposed to read that sense it just kind of didn't know where the fuck it was going and it ended in a weird spot that's why it sounded weird I'm not even going to reread it fuck that sentence what I thought I'd do I thought I'd go downstairs and see what the hell was going on in the lavender room they had this nightclub the lavender room in the hotel while I was changing my shirt I damn near gave my kid sister Phoebe a buzz though I certainly felt like talking to her on the phone somebody with sense and all but I couldn't take a chance on giving her a buzz because she was only a little kid and she wouldn't have been up, let alone anywhere near the phone. I thought of maybe hanging up if my parents answered, but that wouldn't have worked either. They'd know it was me. My mother always knows it's me. She's psychic. But I certainly wouldn't have minded shooting the crap with old Phoebe for a while. You should see her. You never saw a little kid so pretty and smart in your whole life. She's really smart. I mean... She's had all A's ever since she started school. As a matter of fact, I'm the only dumb one in the family. My brother DB's a writer and all, and my brother Allie, the one that died that I told you about, he was a wizard. I'm the only really dumb one, but you ought to see old Phoebe. She had this sort of red hair, a little bit like Allie's was, and very short in the summertime. In the summertime, she sticks it behind her ears. She has nice, pretty little ears. In the wintertime, it's pretty long, though. Sometimes my mother braids it, and sometimes she doesn't. It's really nice, though. She's only 10. She's quite skinny like me, but nice skinny. Roller skate skinny. I watched her once from the window when she was crossing over Fifth Avenue to go to the park. And that's what she is. Roller skate skinny. You'd like her. I mean, if you tell old Phoebe something... She knows exactly what the hell you're talking about. I mean, you can even take her anywhere with you. You take her to a lousy movie, for instance, she knows it's a lousy movie. And if you take her to a pretty good movie, she knows it's a pretty good movie. DB and I took her to see this French movie, The Baker's Wife, with Raymu in it. It killed her. Her favorite is The 39 Steps, though, with Robert Donat. She knows the whole goddamn movie by heart because I've taken her to see it about 10 times. When the old Donat comes up to the Scotch farmhouse, for instance, when he's running away from the cops and all, Phoebe will say right out loud in the movie, right when the Scotch guy in the picture says it, Can you eat the herring? She knows all the talk by heart. And when this professor in the picture that's really a German spy sticks up his little finger with the middle part, with the part of the middle joint missing, missing, God, I can't talk. Hit him with that ribbity ribbity one time. And when this professor in the professor, why, that's the second time. Why? 
<clears throat> and when this professor in the picture that's really a German spy sticks up his little finger with part of the middle joint missing to show Robert Donat, old Phoebe beats him to it. She holds up her little finger at me in the dark right in front of my face. She's all right. You'd like her. The only trouble is she's a little too affectionate sometimes. She's very emotional for a child. She really is. Something else she does? She writes books all the time. Only she doesn't finish them. They're all about some kid named Hazel Weatherfield. Only Phoebe spells it H-A-Z-L-E. Old Hazel Weatherfield is a girl detective. She's supposed to be an orphan, but her old man keeps showing up. Her old man's always a tall, attractive gentleman about 20 years of age. That kills me. Old Phoebe. I swear to God you'd like her. She was smart. Even when she was a very tiny little kid. When she was a very tiny little kid, I and Allie used to take her to the park with us, especially on Sundays. Allie had this sailboat he used to like to fool around with on Sundays, and we used to take old Phoebe with us. She'd wear white gloves and walk right between us like a lady and all. And when Allie and I were having some conversation about things in general, old Phoebe would be listening. Sometimes you'd forget she's around because she's such a little kid, but she'd let you know. She'd interrupt you all the time. She'd give Allie and I a push or something and say, Who? Who said that? Bobby or the lady? And we'd tell her who said it and she'd say, Oh. And go right on listening and all. She killed Allie too. I mean, he liked her too. She's she's 10 now and not such a tiny little kid anymore, but she still kills everybody. Everybody with any sense anyway. Anyway... She was just somebody you always felt like talking to on the phone. But I was too afraid that my parents would answer. And then they'd find out I was in New York and got kicked out of Pensy and all, so I just finished putting on my shirt. Then got all ready and went down in the elevator to the lobby to see what was going on. It's not the end of the paragraph, not the end of the chapter like I was fucking, I was emphasizing it like I was, but that's just because I was thinking about what I just read. So very interesting um we just got one of the longest paragraphs of the whole book um talking about phoebe so he's very he seems to have this very very romantic not not like romance but like like um he's building up building up this image of them in their brain to a point where it's become romanticized um and um he did it with ali earlier when he was talking about the glove um and he's doing it now with phoebe i'm interested to see if he's going to do anything for db at some point because he's already shown a little bit of disdain for db at the beginning of the book so just curious one little one little because and it's always so isn't it so okay another thing that i found interesting so i opened up my suitcases took out a clean shirt went to the bathroom to wash and clean his shirt so all this happened he had this big ass thought this long ass paragraph this long stream of consciousness about his sister who he cares dearly about very clearly in the middle of doing something so serene not serene so simple so commonplace why did I say serene what a weird word to say that's nowhere near the word I needed to use but I just think it's very interesting that he he gets really introspective and reflective when he's doing such simple things I need to go back and remember when 
because he was just writing the composition for Stradlater when he went into the rant about Ali. But there was another big rant. I guess it was when he was arguing with Stradlater, not arguing with her, but when they were talking about um, his date in the bathroom, I think is when it was. But my memory's not great. I smoke a lot of reefer, 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 reefer. I'm moving around too much now. It's breaking. Tighten up, pussy. Am I loosening it? Oh, that's why. It's because I'm an idiot. It's upside down, so counterclockwise and clockwise, everything's different. They don't tell you about that when you're watching Stranger Things and they go into the upside down. Anyway, sorry. I'm done being stupid. I do like Phoebe, and I like Allie, and I like DB. Matter of fact, I like everybody in the Caulfield family except for Holden. Fuck Holden. Then I got all ready and went down in the elevator to the lobby to see what was going on. Except for a few pimply looking guys and a few hoary looking blondes, the lobby was pretty empty. But you could hear the band playing in the lavender room, so I went in there. It wasn't very crowded, but they gave me a lousy table anyway, way in the back. I should have waved a buck under the head waiter's nose. In New York, boy, money really talks. I'm not kidding. The band was putrid. Buddy Singer. Very brassy, but not good brassy. Corny brassy. Also, there were very few people around my age in the place. In fact, nobody was around my age. They were mostly old, show-offy looking guys with their dates. Except at the table right next to me. At the table right next to me, there were these three girls around 30 or so. The whole three of them were pretty ugly, and they all had on the kind of hats that you knew they really didn't live in New York. But one of them, the blonde one, wasn't too bad. She was sort of cute, the blonde one. And I started giving her the old eye a little bit. But just then, the waiter came up for my order. I ordered a scotch and soda and told him not to mix it. I said it fast as hell because if you hem and haw, they think you're under 21. And they won't sell you any intoxicating liquor. I had trouble with him anyway, though. Um, I'm sorry, sir, but do you have some verification of your age? Um, your driver's license, perhaps? I gave him this very cold stare like he'd insulted the hell out of me and asked him, do I look like I'm under 21? I'm sorry, sir, but we have our... Okay, okay, bring me a Coke. He started to go away, but I called him back. Can't you stick a little rum in it or something? I asked him. I asked him very nicely and all. I can't sit in a corny place like this, cold, sober. Can't you stick a little rum in it or something? I'm very sorry, sir, he said and just beat it on me. I didn't hold it against them, though. They lose their jobs if they get caught selling to a minor. I'm a goddamn minor. What a weird... It's just what a weird choice to write that. I don't know why Holden... I don't know why the author felt... compelled to make Holden feel compelled to say that twice. Does that make sense? God, man, this fucking... This book is like... Inception. But boring I started giving the three wit 
I started giving the three <laughs> I can't even say it, dude. I started giving the three witches at the next table the eye again. That is the blonde one. The other true, <laughs> the other two, this dude, the other two were strictly from hunger. Yo, <laughs> that's so fucking funny though. I started giving the three witches at the next table the eye again. That is the blonde one. The other two were strictly from hunger. I didn't do it crudely though. I just gave all three of them this very cool glance and all. What they did though, the three of them, when I did it, they started giggling like morons. They probably thought I was too young to give anybody the once over. That annoyed the hell out of me. You'd have thought I wanted to marry them or something. I should have gave them the freeze after they did that, but the trouble was, I really felt like dancing. No, the fuck you didn't, Holden. I do not believe you. I'm very fond of dancing sometimes, and that was one of the times. So, all of a sudden, I sort of leaned over and said, would any of you girls care to dance? I didn't ask them crudely or anything, very suave, in fact. But god damn it, they thought that was a panic too. They started giggling some more. I'm not kidding. They were like three real morons. Come on, I said. I'll dance with you all. I'll dance with you one at a time. Alright, how about it? Come on. I really felt like dancing. Finally, the blonde one got up to dance with me because you could tell I was really talking to her. And we walked out to the dance floor. The other two gruels nearly had hysterics when we did. I certainly must have been very hard up to even bother with any of them, but it was worth it. The blonde was some dancer. She was one of the best dancers I ever danced with. Hi Charlie, do you want to come read with me? Every time you want to come bother me, you never let me read with you and my cord is stuck on your feet. My cord's stuck on your feet, baby. Hello Charlie. You really can dance. I don't even know if I'm in the right spot, I got a cat on my chest. But it was worth it. The blonde was some dancers. She was one of the best dancers I ever danced with. I'm not kidding. Ah! Charlie! You've ruined it! You've ruined everything! But it was worth it. The blonde was some dancer. She was one of the best dancers I ever danced with. I'm not kidding. Some of these very stupid girls can really knock you out on a dance floor. You take a really smart girl and half the time she's trying to lead you around the dance floor or or else she's such a lousy dancer, the best thing you do is stay at the table and just get drunk with her. You can really dance, I told the blonde one. You ought to be a pro, I mean it. I danced with a pro one and I danced with a pro once and you're twice as good as she was. Did you ever hear of Marco and Miranda? <laughs> what? She said. She wasn't even listening to me. She was looking all around the place. I said, did you ever hear of Marco and Miranda? I, I don't know. N nah, I don't know. Well, they're dancers. She's a dancer. She's not too hot, though. She does everything she's supposed to, but she's not so hot anyway. You know when a girl's a really terrific dancer? What'd you say? She said. She wasn't even listening to me. Her mind was wandering all over the place. I said, do you know when a girl's a really terrific dancer? Uh-huh. Well, where I have my hand on your back, if I think there isn't anything underneath my hand, no can, no legs, no feet, no anything, then the girl's really a terrific dancer. 
She wasn't listening, though. So I ignored her for a while. We just danced. God, could that dopey girl dance. Buddy Singer and his stinking band was playing just one of those things. And even they couldn't ruin it entirely. It's a swell song. I didn't try any trick stuff while we danced. I hate a guy that does a lot of show-off tricky stuff on the dance floor, but... I was moving her around plenty and she stayed with me. The funny thing is, I thought she was enjoying it too until... All of a sudden, she came out with this very dumb remark. I and my girlfriend saw Peter Laura last night. The movie actor in person. He's buying a newspaper. He's cute. (laughs) You're lucky, I told her. You're really lucky, you know that? She really was a moron, but what a dancer. I could hardly stop myself from sort of giving her a kiss on the top of her dopey head, you know? Right where the part is and all. She got sore when I did it. Hey, what's the idea? Nothing. No idea. You really can't dance. I have a kid I have a kid sister that's only in the goddamn fourth grade. You're about as good as she is, and she can dance better than anybody living or dead. Watch your language if you don't mind. What a lady. Boy, a queen for Christ's sake. Where are you girls from? I asked her. She didn't answer me, though. She was busy looking around for old Peter Lord to show up, I guess. Where are you girls from? I asked her again. What? Where are you girls from? Don't answer if you don't feel like it. I don't want you to strain yourself. Seattle, Washington. She said like she was doing a big favor to tell me. You're a very good conversationalist. You know that? What? I let it drop. It was over her head anyway. Do you feel like just jitterbugging it a little bit if they play a fast one? Not a corny jitterbug, not jump or anything, just nice and easy. Everybody will all sit down when they play a fast one except the old except the old guys and the fat guys. Wait, what? Everybody will all sit down when they play a fast one except the old guys and the fat guys. That makes the exact opposite sense to me. Wouldn't the old guys and the fat guys sit down when they play a fast one? Or am I, am I the dumb one here? Everybody will all sit down when they play a fast one, except the old guys and the fat guys, and we'll have plenty of room, okay? It's immaterial to me. Hey, how old are you anyhow? That annoyed me for some reason. Oh Christ, don't spoil it. I'm 12 for Christ's sake. I'm big for my age. Listen, I told you about that. I don't like that type of language. If you're going to use that type of language, I could go sit down with my girlfriends, you know. I apologized like a madman because the band was starting a fast one. She started jitterbugging with me. I think that's the jitterbug. I could be wrong. But just very nice. I think that's the Charleston, actually. I don't know all these fancy little 50s dances. Get off my dick. Very nice and easy, not corny. She was really good. All you had to do was just touch her. And when she turned around, her pretty little butt twitched so nice and all, she knocked me out. I mean, I was half in love with her by the time we sat down. That's the thing about girls. Every time they do something pretty, even if they're not much to look at, or even if they're sort of stupid, you fall half in love with them. And then you never know where the hell you are, girls. 
Jesus Christ, they can drive you crazy. They really can. They didn't invite me to sit down at their table, mostly because they were too ignorant, but I sat down anyway. The blonde I'd been dancing with's name was Bernice something, Crabs, Krebs. The two ugly ones' names were Marty and Laverne. There's no way this bitch's name is Marty. There's no way that's a girl's name in the 50s, bro. There's no way. I told them my name was Jim Steele, just for the hell of it. Then I tried to get them. Sorry, I'm adjusting my fucking stance. It's probably mad squeaking. And I told them my name was Jim Steele, just for the hell of it. Then I tried to get them in a little intelligent conversation, but it was practically impossible. You had to twist their arms. You could hardly tell which was the stupidest of the three of them. And the whole three of them kept looking around the goddamn room as if they expected a flock of the goddamn movie stars to come in at any minute. They probably thought movie stars always hung out in the lavender room when they come to New York instead of the Stork Club or El Morocco and all. Anyway, it took me about a half hour to find out where they worked and all in Seattle. They all worked in the same insurance office. I asked them if they liked it, but you think I could get an intelligent answer out of those three dopes? I thought the two ugly ones, Marty and Laverne, were sisters, but they got very insulted when I asked them. You could tell neither one of them wanted to look like the other one, and you couldn't blame them, but it was very amusing anyway. I danced with them all, the whole three of them one at a time. The one ugly one, Laverne, wasn't too bad of a dancer, but the other one, old Marty, was murder. Old Marty was like dragging the Statue of Liberty around the floor. The only way I could even half enjoy myself dragging her around was if I amused myself a little. So I told her I just saw Gary Cooper, the movie star, on the other side of the dance floor. Where? She looked at me excited as hell. Where? Ah, you just missed him. He just went out. Why didn't you look when I told you? Just, just a little gaslighting in public, no big deal. She practically stopped dancing and started looking over everybody's heads to see if she could see him. Oh, shoot, she said. I'd just about broken her heart. I really had. I was sorry as hell I'd kidded her. Some people you shouldn't kid, even if they deserve it. You notice how he didn't say, I admit it, so he doesn't feel guilty. You fuck. You can't trick me. Here's what was very funny, though. When we got back to the table, old Marty told the other two that Gary Cooper had just gone out. Boy, old Laverne and Bernice nearly committed suicide when they heard that. They got all excited and asked Marty if she'd seen him in all. Old Mart said she only caught a glimpse of him. That killed me. What a, what a fucking phony. Fuck you, Marty, you fucking phony. The bar was closing up for the night, so I bought them all two drinks apiece before it closed and I ordered two more Cokes for myself. The goddamn table was lousy with glasses. The ugly one, Laverne, kept kidding me because I was only drinking Cokes. She had a sterling sense of humor. She and old Marty were drinking Tom Collins's in the middle of December for water. Oh, for God's I skipped the whole line. Drinking Tom Collins's in the middle of December for God's sakes. They didn't know any better. The blonde one, old Bernice, was drinking bourbon and water. She was really putting it away, too. 
The whole three of them kept looking for movie stars the whole time. They hardly even talked, even to each other. Old Marty talked more than the other two. She kept saying these very corny, boring things like calling the can the little girl's room. And she thought Buddy Singer's poor, beat-up clarinet player was really terrific when he stood up and took a couple ice-cold hot licks. She called his clarinet a licorice stick. God, was she corny. The other ugly one, Laverne, thought she was a very witty type. She kept asking me to call up my father and ask him what he was doing tonight. She kept asking me if my father had a date or not. Four times she asked me that. She was certainly witty. Old Bernice, the blonde one, didn't hardly say anything at all. Every time I'd ask her something, she said, What? That can really get on your nerves after a while. All of a sudden, when they finished their drink, all three of them stood up on me and said they had to get to bed. They said they were going to get up early to go see the first show at Radio City Music Hall. I tried to get them to stick around for a while, but they wouldn't. So, we said goodbye and all. I told them I'd look them up in Seattle sometime if I ever got there, but I doubt if I ever will. Look them up, I mean. With cigarettes and all, the check came to about 13 bucks. I think they should have at least offered to pay for the drinks they had before I joined them. I wouldn't have let them naturally, but they should have at least offered. I didn't care much, though. They were so ignorant, and they had those sad, fancy hats on and all, and that business about getting up early to see the first show at Radio City Music Hall depressed me. I mean, if somebody, some girl in an awful-looking hat, for instance, comes all the way to New York from Seattle, Washington, for God's sake, and ends up getting up early in the morning to see the first goddamn show at Radio City Music Hall, it makes me so depressed I can't stand it. I'd have bought the whole three of them a hundred drinks if only they hadn't told me that. I left the lavender I left the lavender room pretty soon after they did. They were closing it up anyway and the band had quit a long time ago. In the first place, it was one of those places that are very terrible to be in unless you have somebody good to dance with or unless the waiter lets you buy real drinks instead of just Cokes, but there isn't any nightclub in the world where you can sit in for a long time and unless you can buy some liquor and get drunk or unless you're with some girl that really knocks you out. Hmm. You know... So, a lot of this stuff is considered pretty risque for the time, right? But I'm thinking if we're if we're talking about if we're talking about cross-dressing and you know, we're alluding to women squirting or maybe coming on their faces with with the imagery that he was saying about the spitting on each other and stuff or I mean I, I don't know are they spitting on each other's faces in the 50s guys I mean I, I don't mind spitting on a bitch every now and then but I think they were really doing that in the 50s I don't know it's just such a weird juxtaposition he's so close God it's really I really don't know what to think about it right because he could have definitely closed with one of those chicks right or am I getting the wrong impression 
It's all his shortcomings. It's all his... What's that episode of Friends where they're talking about Chandler always going to die alone because he he breaks up with women for the tiniest reasons and shit, right? I mean, that's kind of like what's happening with Holden. He could have he easily fucked one of those three. I don't know. 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 I'm just thinking I see a lot of a lot of pent-up aggression in him and especially sexually and it's all started really coming into fruition after this fight with Stradlater and stuff so very interesting stuff um and he had it right in his hands both times and I wonder if it's just I'm I'm willing to admit willing to bet that it's nerves he got anxious he got nervous didn't know how to close didn't know how to you know follow through so I'm wondering if he's chalking it up to oh she was ugly oh she thought she was witty oh this blonde bitch was kind of acting like she didn't hear me and they were all stuck up on these celebrities so like maybe he's just you know inventing reasons so that he doesn't have to fuck around and actually get to the get to the sex part where he feels like he might underperform because he's I think he's a virgin I don't know if we've actually gotten confirmation that he's that fucking Holden's given the time to somebody if you will but had to go make sure we had enough time left in the uh, left on the soundtrack to get another chapter in so we're gonna do that we're gonna do that we're gonna chapter 11 chapter 11 man I need to crack open a fucking hold on stay right there don't go anywhere don't move. Stay. Stay. Look at my butt. Listeners, good viewers, you didn't move. Aw, good. Who's such a good viewer? I don't know. I thought that would be funny. That was kind of corny. But, um, chapter 11. All of a sudden, on my way out to the lobby, chapter 11. <laughs> chapter 11. All of a sudden, on my way out to the lobby, I got old Jane Gallagher on the brain again. I got her on and I couldn't get her off. <laughs> Foreshadowing? Anybody? I got her on and I couldn't get her off. I sat down in this vomity looking chair in the lobby and thought about her and I thought about her and Stradlater sitting in that goddamn Ed Banky's car and though I was pretty damn sure old Stradlater hadn't given her the time I know old Jane like a book I still couldn't quite get her off my brain I knew her like a book I really did I mean besides checkers she was quite fond of all athletic sports and after I got to know her the whole summer long we played tennis together almost every morning and golf almost every afternoon I really got to know her quite intimately. I don't mean it was physical or anything. It wasn't. But 
we just saw each other all the time. You don't always have to get too sexy to get to know a girl. See again, like his frame of it seems like his he has a weird reference points for how to how to bridge these gaps. Like, no, you don't have to get too sexy to get to know a girl. That's not how you get to know a girl, right? So like that's that's there's ob there's an obvious disconnect between how Holden forms relationships and well there's a there's a disconnect between how Holden thinks relationships should be formed and how relationships actually work that's a better way to say it but anyway the way I met her this Doberman pincher she had used to come over and relieve himself on our lawn and my mother got very irritated about it she called up Jane's mother and made a big stink about it my mother can make a very big stink about that kind of stuff. Then what happened, a couple days later, I saw Jane laying on her stomach next to the swimming pool at the club, and I said hello to her. I knew she lived in the house next to ours, but I'd never conversed with her before or anything. She gave me the big freeze when I said hello that day, though. I had a hell of a time convincing her that I didn't give a good goddamn where her dog relieved himself. See, like... I don't know, man. I'm good at reading. And I, I would like to think that maybe when I'm not reading out loud, I would be able to understand it a little bit better. But that, that sentence, when I was reading it, I had no idea where the fuck that sentence was going, dude. I had a hell of a time convincing her that I didn't give a good goddamn where her dog relieved himself. He could do it in the living room for all I cared. Anyway, after that, Jane and I got to be friends and all. I played golf with her that same afternoon. She lost eight balls. I remember. Eight. I had a terrible time getting her to at least open her eyes when she took a swing at the ball. I improved her game immensely, though. I'm a very good golfer. If I told you what I go around in, you probably wouldn't believe me. I was, I almost was once in a movie short, but I changed my mind at the last minute. I figured that anybody that hates the movies as much as I do... I'd be a phony if I let them stick me in a movie short. This might be... This might be... The most self-destructive person on the planet. Right? Is that... Is that a, is that a recurring theme to everyone else? I mean, or... I mean, yeah, okay. Or a fucking... He, he, he did admit to lying a whole bunch. Why are we... Why... Revelation. Revelation time. Holden has already admitted to us that he's he loves to lie and he gets a huge kick out of it. Why are we under the impression that he's telling us the truth? In my brain, I'm envisioning an interview with the vampire sort of situation going on. So somebody heard about this story and is going to ask Holden about it. So the person who wrote the book or who is recording all of this or whatever, right, um, is interviewing Holden. He's asking, they're asking Holden to tell the story to them. So why do we, why are we so convinced? That's probably not the right word. Why are we so convinced that Holden is telling us the truth? You know what I'm saying? 
because later that that sa- later that same week actually it was the same day you know that thing that I brought up earlier and you know when he was describing that bar scene where is it um um after before after before all that there it is okay uh the three witches yeah here we go so very brassy but not good brass okay very few people around my age in fact nobody was around my age so which was it you know what i'm saying so like he's telling the story to people that he knows it's getting recorded yeah, there are very few. Actually, no way. There, it wasn't very few. Yep, it was zero. I was the youngest. Yep, everyone else was so old. They were mostly old show-offy guys with their dates, except at the table right next to me just happened to be three girls, right? And it's just, it's just, now that I'm thinking about it, dude, maybe Holden is just lying about everything. I don't know what to think about this book anymore. Everything's a lie. I figured if anybody that hates movies as much as I do, I'd be a phony if I let them stick me in a movie short. She was a funny old girl. She was a funny girl, old Jane. I wouldn't exactly describe her as strictly beautiful. She knocked me out, though. She was a sort of muckle-mouthed she was sort of muckle-mouthed. I wonder... I was about to Google that, but I'm going to see what he says about this shit. She was sort of muckle-mouthed. I mean, when she was talking and she got excited about something, her mouth sort of went in about 50 directions. Her lips and all. And that killed me. She never really closed it all the way, her mouth. It was always just a little bit open. Especially when she got in her golf stance or when she was reading a book. She was always reading, and she read very good books. She read a lot of poetry and all. She was the only one outside my family that I ever showed Allie's baseball mitt to. With all the poems written on it, you know the mitt. I'm going to read that back because I fucked it up. She read a lot of poetry and all. She was the only one outside of my family that I ever showed Allie's baseball mitt to with all the poems written on it. She'd never met Allie or anything because that was her first summer in Maine. Before that, she went to Cape Cod. But I told her quite a lot about him. She was interested in that kind of stuff. My mother didn't like her too much. I mean, my mother always thought Jane and her mother were sort of snubbing her or something when they didn't say hello. My mother saw them in the village a lot because Jane used to drive to the market with her mother in this LaSalle convertible they had. My mother didn't think Jane was pretty. I did though. I just liked the way she looked. That's all. I remember this one afternoon. It was the only time old Jane and I ever got close to necking even. I'm gonna guess necking is the closest thing to like making out. Like when I, when I think about necking, I think of people legitimately just rubbing their fucking necks together because that seems like foreplay in the 50s. But they probably meant they were nibbling on each other's ears and kissing on each other's necks and stuff, giving each other hickeys is the next step probably type shit. But I'm going to say necking is the same as just fucking making out. You know what I'm saying? Not, I don't know. Is Necking's not, ain't no fingers involved, right? Ain't no boobies. I don't think we're talking bases here. I think we're just kissing. That's what I'm that's what I'm thinking necking is. 
I don't think I don't think that's worthy of a Goog or I'd Google it, but I don't think it'd bring up any good results anyway. It was a Saturday and it was raining like a bastard out. And I was over at her house on the porch. They had this big screened in porch and we were playing checkers. I used to kid her once in a while because she wouldn't take her kings out of the back row. But I didn't kid her much though. You never wanted to kid Jane too much. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading this kind of disconnectedly because I'm thinking that J.D. Salinger wrote this a little bit out of order, which I imagine most books get written out of order. So, this story that Holden is telling is clearly written in one big long paragraph, so I'm guessing J.D. Salinger already had this part of the story written out. Like, this was part of the imagery that he wanted to purve- like, uh, uh, pur- purvey? Per- per- whatever. Yeah, purvey, I think that's right. Whatever. He wanted to purvey this imagery to us, and this is one of the first... I'm guessing this is one of the first ideas in his story that he had about a teenager trying to find his way in the 50s was this tiny part of the story. Because we already know that he used to kid her once in a while because she wouldn't take her kings out of the back row. That's the verbatim sentence right there. So we already know that, but given the way that it's written to us, it seems like it's the first time we're supposed to have this information, but we already learned about this uh, in the last episode when they were talking, when he was talking to Stradlater about it. So that's the, that's the, um, the symbolism. Thank you. That's the symbolism of this relationship, right? Is the, um, why did I say thank you? Who did I say thank you to? fuck is going on who just told me the word that i needed praise yeah praise the allah yahweh jesus christ whatever you want to call it man i don't know what the hell just happened but i got the fucking right word no symbolism these leaving the kings on the back row was the symbolism that these two it was like it was a real connection to holden him him remembering this was like oh it's real like this is a real thing like that's something you don't just you don't remember if jane didn't do something to you you know what i mean so anyways we were playing checkers. I used to kid her once in a while because she wouldn't take her kings out of the back row. But I didn't kid her much, though. You never wanted to kid Jane too much. I think I really like it best when you can kid the pants off of a girl when the opportunity arises, but it's a funny thing. The girls I like best are the ones I never feel much like kidding. Sometimes I feel like... Sometimes I think they'd like it if you kidded them. In fact, I know they would, but it's hard to get started. Once you've known them a pretty long time and never kidded them. Kidded, kidded is a really hard word for me to say. Kidded, kidded, kidded. It's like, it just, I don't know why. And he's fucking said it nine times in a row. Sometimes I think they'd like it if you kidded them. Kidded them? In fact, I know they would, but it's hard to get started. Once you've known them a pretty long time and never kidded them. Anyway, I was telling you about that afternoon. Jane and I came close to necking. It was raining like hell. Yeah, dude, it's been five sentences. I know I rambled on for a little while and that we might have forgot that's what you were saying. But no, you, you don't have to. I hate this book so much. Anyway, I was telling you about that afternoon. Jane and I came close to necking. It was raining like hell and we were out on her porch. 
And all of a sudden, this booze hound her mother was married to came out on the porch and asked Jane if there were any cigarettes in the house. I didn't know him too well or anything, but he looked like the kind of guy that wouldn't talk to you much unless he wanted something off of you. He had a lousy personality. Anyway, old Jane wouldn't answer him when he asked her if she knew where there were any cigarettes. Old Jane wouldn't answer him when he asked her if she knew where there was any cigarettes. I just don't... It doesn't seem... It doesn't flow naturally. It's nowhere near... Bro, compared to the season one, though, this book is much easier to read. Anyway, old Jane wouldn't answer him when he asked her if she knew where there were any cigarettes. So the guy asked her again, but she still wouldn't answer him. She didn't She didn't even look up from the game. Fi- what game? Oh, checkers. I, I thought they were watching football or hockey or something. Finally, the guy went inside the house. And when he did, I asked Jane what the hell was going on. She wouldn't even answer me. Then she made out like she was concentrating on her next move in the game and all. And then all of a sudden, this tear plopped down on the checkerboard. On one of the red squares. Boy, I can still see it. She just rubbed it into the board with her finger. I don't know why, but it bothered the hell out of me. So... What I did was I went over and made her move over on the glider so that I could sit down next to her. I practically sat down in her lap, as a matter of fact. Then she really started to cry, and the next thing I knew, I was kissing her all over. Anywhere. Her eyes, her nose, her forehead, her eyebrows, her ears, her whole face except her mouth. She sort of wouldn't let me get to her mouth. Anyway... It was the closest we had ever got to necking. After a while, she got up and went in and put on this red and white sweater she had. It knocked me out. And we went to a goddamn movie. I asked her on the way if Mr. Kudahi, that was the booze hound's name, had ever tried to get wise with her. She was pretty young, but she had this terrific figure. And I wouldn't have put it past it, that Kudahi bastard, but... She said no, though. I never did find out what the hell was the matter. Some girls, you practically never find out what's the matter. I don't want you to get the guy. I don't want you. Ribbity, ribbity. I don't want you to get the idea she was a goddamn icicle or something just because we never necked or horse around much. She wasn't. I held hands with her all the time, for instance. That doesn't sound like much, I realize, but... She was terrific to hold hands with. Most girls, if you hold hands with them, their goddamn hand dies on you. Or else they think they have to keep moving their hand all the time as if they were afraid they'd bore you or something. Jane was different. We'd get into a goddamn movie or something and right away we'd start holding hands and we wouldn't quit till the movie was over. And without changing the position or making a big deal out of it, You never even worried with Jane whether your hand was sweaty or not. All you knew was you were happy. You really were. You know, that's that's big. I remember that being young. The first time I was really holding hands with chicks, like it got I I was very paralyzed in thought about, oh, man, my hands. If my hands sweaty, her hands definitely got to be sweaty. And then one of the first few times we stopped and I saw her like wipe her shit on her pants. I was like, fuck, I'm never holding another woman's hand ever again. Ah, 
I was just destroyed and it was just like it's funny that that's always been a thing since the 50s and everything so stop being so neurotic guys everybody's going through the same shit it's always been this way one other thing I just thought of one time in this movie Jane did something that just about knocked me out the newsreel was on or something and all of a sudden I felt this hand on the back of my neck and it was Jane's it was a funny thing to do I mean she was quite young and all and most girls if you see them putting their hand on the back of somebody's neck they're around 25 or 30 and usually they're doing it to their husband or their little kid I do it to my kid sister Phoebe once in a while for instance but if a girl's quite young and all and she does it it's so pretty it just about kills you anyway that's what I was thinking about while I sat in that vomity looking chair in the lobby of old Jane every time I got to the part with every time I got to the part about her with Stradlater in that damn Ed Banky's car it almost drove me crazy I knew she wouldn't let him get to first base with her but it drove me crazy anyway I don't even like to talk about it if you want to know the truth there was hardly anybody in the lobby anymore. Even all the hoary looking blondes weren't around anymore and all of a sudden, I felt like getting the hell out of the place. It was too depressing. And I wasn't tired or anything, so I went up to my room and put on my coat. Took a look out the window to see if all the perverts were still in action, but the lights and all went out now. I went down in the elevator again, got a cab, told the driver to take me down to Ernie's. Ernie's is this nightclub in Greenwich Village that my brother DB used to go to quite frequently before he went out to Hollywood and prostituted himself. He used to take me with him every once in a while. Ernie's got a big fat colored guy that plays the piano. He's a terrific snob and he won't hardly even talk to you unless you're a big shot or a celebrity or something, but he can really play the piano. He's so good, he's almost corny in fact. I don't exactly know what I mean by that, but I mean it. I certainly like to hear him play, but sometimes you feel like turning his goddamn piano over. I think it's because sometimes when he plays, he sounds like the kind of guy that won't talk to you unless you're a big shot. Man, I really do feel bad for Holden. It seems like he's afraid to like the things that he likes. Like it seems like, it seems like he's afraid to enjoy the things that genuinely bring him joy. God, man, I can't even imagine what it might must be like to be in that tortured of a of a shell, especially being that age, man. My God. Young and alone in a cold New York City at the age of 17. I couldn't even picture it. We do it a lot different down here in the country, man, but in a time where what the 50s were, I mean, the Great Depression happened only 30 years ago. So the adults are worried that everything could collapse around them again so they're stuck in this whole 
trickle down hyper capitalism work for everything and especially if they're stuck in the middle of Manhattan and the financial areas that come along with all that shit I can imagine it's just that much different right it's a weird thing to think about and it's really fun to remember that just because we're in the same country same nation being raised in New York in Manhattan by Central Park being raised in that environment is much much different than being raised in the dirty but that was another clean little four chapters coming in at around an hour and a half so the music should be ending any second now yep it's about to leave in like 45 seconds oh my god I have to hurry up this outro please follow me on facebook.com slash groups slash check your shelf there's a discord link if you want to come in and chit chat with us you're also just feel free to click anything on my link tree man follow me find me do everything I tell you to do because you're an obedient little slave to the comedy check your shelf bitch bye